welcome to Cybersecurity Unplugged, the cyber theory podcast where we explore issues that matter in the world of cybersecurity. Good day, everyone. I'm Steve King, the Managing Director at Cyber Theory. Today's episode is going to focus on the movement toward a zero trust strategy in cybersecurity. And joining me today is Dr. Chase Cunningham, whom many refer to as the doctor of zero trust. Chase is the chief strategy officer for Ericom Software, a leading provider of zero trust secure access solutions. Chase worked with John Kinderbag at Forrester, refining the principles and framework for a zero trust reference architecture. And in addition to serving on several boards and holding leadership positions at companies like Accenture, in the analysis and applications of threat intelligence, Chase served as a naval chief cryptologist with more than 20 years' experience in cyber forensics and analytic operations within the NSA, CIA, FBI, and other government agencies. So welcome, Chase. I'm glad you could join me today. Hey, thanks for having me on. Sure. So zero trust. Let's start with a negative media coverage and social media chatter over Zero Trust just being a bumper sticker seems sure. like it came out of RSA. It seems unclear to many that this is a strategy and not a product. How, how did we get here? Well, I mean, ZT honestly has been around since 2003, 2004, when there was this discussion going on around deperimeterized security. And that was uh, basically the idea of, you know, what would we do when we didn't have high walls, if you will. And that was a very forward-looking uh, approach to the problem back then. And it's evolved since that time. John, like you said, Kindervog was smart enough and visionary enough to realize that there was a bigger, better play and that uh, deprimitarized is kind of a gobbledygook in the mouth uh, when you're trying to talk about it. So he looked at it and, and did some really good uh, approach to the problem and, and put the terms zero trust together, which is what we're doing and what we're getting to anyway. And it's kind of become a thing because it actually is the intelligent approach to fixing the problem. I mean, that's that's what we're trying to do is eliminate trust relationships from inside systems. Right. And it, if you look at the way that the zero trust architecture is implemented, if you will, or conceived, the whole idea is to reduce the attack surface to to minimize the amount of excessive trust in both the networks and applications, data access, et cetera, and to granularize, if you will, the approach to identity management, access, authorization, and authentication. All of this is toward the objective of making the bad guys' jobs harder, not, not easier. There has never been a promise or a any implication, at least from my point of view, that zero trust is going to solve all of our problems and lead us to the promised land. Is that your sort of conception of the movement here? I mean, we're, we're trying to do something that is incrementally approached and makes sense to me anyway. Yeah, I mean, that's the reality of it is, is this people have been digging themselves into this kind of hole for the last 30, 40, sometimes even longer years as far as architecting their environments to be built around max sharing, max relationships, default connections, all those things. And really what we're doing is we're whittling away at that 
sort of installed problem and moving towards a more uh, effective application of the fix. And it's, it's going to take time. It's not easy. And to be perfectly frank, like, just like if you had a bodybuilder that went to zero body fat, they die. You're never going to be zero, but it's much better to say zero trust than to say less than X percentage trust. I mean, that's what we're trying to do is try and drive the narrative here to getting towards as little as possible. Trust is like, like John has said, trust is a vulnerability and we need to eliminate that within these systems. And, uh, you know, this is not, don't trust your employees at all. That's not at all what we're talking about. We're just saying that there are fundamental things within computerized and network systems that need to be removed to better the current posture of those systems. Right. And as I look out on the landscape and talk to people every day, and it's part of my job is to understand what's going on here on a minute-to-minute basis, it seems to me that we, instead of moving towards zero trust, generally speaking, we're, we're moving more toward increased complexity, increased density, increased tool integration about which we know very little, increased application dependency extended dependency upon open source APIs and open source third-party software, it seems we're moving more rapidly in the direction away from zero trust and we're getting more people interested in sort of pumping the brakes a little bit and saying, okay, how do I restart this thing? Yeah, complexity is the is the enemy, I guess you could say, of efficacy. Maybe that's not totally accurate, but I mean, really... If we think about the problem space that we are already in, it's like you're saying, it's way too complex, too many moving parts, too many things that are allowed to connect just because the, there's a lot of times when I do these workshops, I find that there's no reason for these organizations to be in the state that they're in. And if they would just kind of back up and take a real pragmatic look at the problem and eliminate what they absolutely know that they don't need, you wind up in a better position right off the bat. So this is strategic implementation of technology to solve a problem. And like you said, I, I would also argue with people that they would say that this is, this is not a product. Correct. It's not a product. This is the you know, combination of products to solve a problem. And it's, there, is no one, there is no one ring to rule them all that I'm aware of yet. Right. But we do have a plethora of products around that, that are consumed by the zero trust strategy, if you will, I think that it's not like we can't get there because we don't have the technology. It seems to me we can't get there because we don't have the understanding, the will, the determination, the the comprehension of what that architecture might look like just intellectually. Yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, I, I, do the, I do workshops with people all the time. And like one of my first slides is I remind people that change sucks. I mean, to be, you know, to be blunt, like change is not comfortable. Change is not something anybody wants to do. I mean, even in your personal life, right? Any small change that you do, it's going to be different than where you are now. So it's going to, by its very nature, will be uncomfortable. However, you are, we're in a place in time where we have a choice. We either change and get better or we don't. And the same thing continues to happen. And that's what you see with organizations that have taken this on. They, they realize that change has to happen. They put some heat and effort into it, some dollars behind it. And they get better. And then, you know, like you mentioned earlier, they become better. Yeah. And that's the, that's the goal, at least from my point of view. Talk to us a little bit about your experience as a cryptologist and why crypto is so important in cybersecurity, just for those folks that don't quite get that. 
I mean, crypto cryptology is, is a core thing. It's been around, honestly, uh, uh, when I was going to school, they said cryptology is the second oldest profession mankind ever came up with, which is, you know, you can guess what number one is. But I mean, cryptology, as far as being part of cybersecurity is key and core to this. All of our algorithms, all of our hashing, the things we do with passwords, you know, encryption, et cetera, all that is based on cryptography. You know, for me, I was lucky enough to go to code school for the, you know, within the Navy system um, and spend a lot of time looking at, at uh, lots and lots of ones and zeros to figure out how to pop those codes. And it's, um, it's interesting to see it from either side. Yeah. You also have quite a bit of experience with applied artificial intelligence and machine learning on the sort of predictive analytics side. What, what do you see as the best and most likely use cases going forward for those technologies? And how do you see those being implemented? I think we have lots of folks on the <laughs> desperate side of the fence in the CISO world sort of hoping for the breakthrough technology that will indeed take them on the path to the promised land. I mean, the, we, we have a lot of those capabilities that are already kind of present in the market. And what you typically see is the, uh, the use of ML and algorithms and good process and compute to solve kind of binary problems, right? Like there's no reason that a human being should have to do a password reset for someone's account. There's no reason that a human being should have to do very basic, uh, I guess you would call it like L.5 level response for cyber stuff. So what you want to do is use those capabilities that are out there to automate that. And then you don't need 50 humans to do the work of what three or four can typically do. And what I've found in, in cyber specifically, when you look at lots of operations areas is where they say they don't have enough people, it's usually because they're not using the technology for the purposes of which it's optimized. I, I don't need you know, I can dig a, uh, an irrigation ditch with a spoon. It's way better to do it with a steam shovel. Right. The application of those technologies, I just don't see them sort of uh, bleeding out into the field here in a way that, that is offsetting some of, some of those problems. We've got people continually complain about resource constraint and all of that, and I get it. Some of that is skill set based, but... Uh, it seems that repetitive human activity that AI and ML can solve haven't sort of caught on yet. Is that just my imagination or do you, what is your no, view of it? No, I think you're pretty, pretty accurate. I think it's starting to bubble its way up into that. I think we're seeing, you know, some of this rolling out into different operation centers and in some broader uh, areas where, where it's being adopted. Uh, and there are some, there's some vendors that are doing some pretty good stuff in the space, but yeah, I agree. We're not we're not there yet. I think we're still pretty early days in a lot of it. We're we're starting to see kind of the, I guess you would call it um, inkling that it's going to work its way into those into those areas and start solving the problem. And it, luckily, this is a problem or this is a solution that gets better as we apply it more. So you know, it becomes a um, kind of feed the beast methodology. Yeah, well, that's good to hear. I re recall running my own socks. I felt like I had to provide psychological counseling to all of my security analysts on a weekly basis, just, just to sort of keep them sane. That's like the worst job on the planet. So anything that could take the place of, of staring at a screen all day long, looking for anomalistic behavior would be great. So, you know, I'm an early uh, enthusiasm for, for products that, uh, that, that would do that, but I just haven't seen any of that roll out in any meaningful way.
We've seen a lot of activity, by the way, within the current administration around cybersecurity. And I know that being a member of our Zero Trust Council, and thank you for that, we're going to be doing more and more promotion around that whole nature, the whole notion, rather, of a private and public partnership toward improving our ability to both move to architectures like Zero Trust and to frameworks like that, and then to share information among the various different agencies. JCDC is a good example, I hope, of the beginning of that of that approach. What's your prognosis, having spent so many years at the federal level in our ability to pull off what needs to be done? I mean, I was actually just reading a report today that was kind of put out on the progress going on since the uh, executive order on ZT came out. And there's there is solid progress. I want to say the numbers I saw were uh, roughly uh, about four hundred million dollars has been allocated so far since uh, October one, which, hey, it's only November 8th. So, I mean, in 30 something days, there's been dollars kind of put into pots, which, you know, nothing happens in any space until dollars show up. So. I think we're starting to see some movement. It's it's not going to happen overnight. Tell us about your workshops a little bit, if you will. You know what the purpose is, who you present them to, how they work, and and what you're trying to accomplish there. I've kind of evolved it over time. It used to be where I was really heavily focused on like the technology side of it and looking at which pieces of gear kind of did which thing and mapped it to the the ZTX framework and then put you know suggested which thing should go in place to help an organization and. What I found was uh, that was kind of great for the the people, you know, digging the ditches and doing the trench work. But actually, I started getting a lot of conversation with the people workshop wise around boards and CEOs and CFOs. And those workshops have been really big on strategy, kind of looking at the the ins and outs, the marketplace itself, which things make sense, you know, plot, plan, scheme. And I've gotten a lot of really positive interaction and feedback on those on those workshops because we're dealing with the people that are setting, you know, strategic vision for the company. It's not the CISOs that are asking for those. It's board CEOs, CFOs, which I think is a, a good thing and is indicative that we're finally starting to get a fair shake in the market as far as being security people getting our seat at the table. Yeah, no kidding. How did you bridge the sort of language or or jargon gap with those folks when you make those kinds of presentations? I'm sure a lot of our audience would like to know that because that's been a long and frustrating journey for many. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I've had to go back and kind of, uh, I guess you would say, send myself through a, a modified MBA program kind of on my own where I've had to, I mean, I, and I've, I've, I know computer science. I didn't know much about business, to be perfectly frank. I've had to go back and kind of learn my way around what words actually ring true for business people, which things they care about the most, what drives adoption and what's non-starters. And it's been a uh, it's been great for me on a personal level just to wrap my head around. Honestly, I, I have a mantra that I kind of say to myself is like, don't speak tech. And I, I've worked really hard to not do that. But you also, you know, at some point in there, you have to flavor in a little bit of here's all this business strategy. Here's the things that affect the budget. Da, 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 da. Oh, and by the way, security benefits that overall strategic initiative. Yeah. What's the thesis that you use to sort of engage with these folks, though? Is it a, I mean, I'm sure it's business focused, but you have a grand question or a great opener that pulls them in and gets them to start to pay attention? 
Yeah, I actually just showed them some data from studies that I've got that I've pulled from a variety of resources. One of them says that 50% of consumers are more willing to do business with a company that can tell them how they enable security and privacy. So that's number one. And then the other one is a couple of data points that I believe IBM published on. If you're an organization that engages in zero trust, your employees will be more engaged. And uh, statistically speaking, they will be. And you will reduce security costs because you're not double dipping. And my point to them is, who doesn't want more customers, happier employees, and wouldn't like to have security costs reduced? And then that's where the conversation begins. Uh-huh. That's right. And, and you know, obvious to many of us. What isn't obvious to many of us, however, is that many boards treat cybersecurity threat in the same context that they do any enterprise risk management contingency or threat, and that they, you know, figure out a way to transfer that risk in some manner, way, shape, or form, or accept it. So it always, you know, I talk to lots of groups and people, and it always surprises everyone when I say, you know, this is, you know, $50 million fine or $50 million loss is not a big deal to a $10 billion company who, you know, regularly goes about the business of either accepting or transferring risk to insurers or what have you. How do you offset that business as usual from an ERM point of view? I mean, the risk that I talk to people about really is the risk of their their brand being damaged, which all, everyone's always kind of uh, concerned about that and rightfully so. And then the other piece is their ability to continue to be present in the future state. And what I mean by that is you're going more digital, you're going more cloud, your customers are going to be more uh, mobile, digital, et cetera, et cetera. You had better have a way to make sure that you're talking to that demographic about how they leverage your solutions and how they do it in a matter that works for them, which includes things like default. They, I mean, people in the next sort of you know purchasing uh, arena, they expect things to be secure. They expect privacy to be enabled. And you have to be able to make sure that they understand that that's a real thing. And if you can't, you will lose to the competition. That's brilliant. Actually, being present in a future state is a great tagline and and one that I'm sure you can leverage. That's almost a, a FUD notion, but spun in a very positive way. So I like that a lot. I may steal it from you. Go ahead. <laughs> it's not trademarked. Not okay. trademarked. All right. So finally, and I'm conscious of the clock here, I don't want to blow up too much of your time. And we're going to see each other in a couple of weeks anyway. But Final question relative to Aircom Software. You're, tell us about your mission as a company and how you expect to achieve it in terms of how you expect it to roll out in, in terms of over the next few years. Yeah. So really for us, where we've gone over the last year is to deploy a stack for small and mid-sized enterprises that's built around ZT strategically. Uh, and I, I say that because what we've got is a capability that can be deployed from basically the entirety of the OSI model, and it's affordable. And the reason that we're able to do that for small and mid-sized businesses is we don't have any overhead cost. We are born in the cloud, bred in the cloud. Uh, we don't have any sort of existential things making us charge more. So where we're winning business is on these small and mid-sized enterprises that need full suite security solution, and they're needing it at a price point that they can afford. And we win on that you know, six days out of the week and twice on Sunday. And it's it's working really well for us. We're going to continue pushing at that. And to be perfectly frank, we're okay not competing in mega enterprises because there's a lot of competition there. Uh, we would rather help the folks that need it that aren't mega enterprises. I would think also, um, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, that it might, 
that it's also less mysterious and less confusing down at the SMB level because what you're talking about is sort of offloading the entirety of the headache versus the competitive nature that you find in a larger enterprise when you're trying to discuss your solution amid you know 23 other ones that are all kind of saying the same thing. Correct. And then the other two pieces of that is we remind them like, you know, your, your big partners, the mega companies, they're already spending a lot of money on security. They probably aren't going to get ripped, but you might introduce that threat. Do you want to be holding that bag? And then the other piece is they know folks that have gone out of business because of a security incident. And our goal is to make sure that we help them not have that happen to them as well. Yeah, that's great. Well, we're almost out of time. I want to thank our guest, Dr. Chase Cunningham again. For taking time out of your schedule, Chase, to join me in what I hope was an interesting exchange around zero trust and uh, the direction in which we're, we're hopefully heading here in the uh, cybersecurity defense landscape. So thanks again for, uh, for helping me out here. Hey, thanks for having me. Always glad to talk with you and looking forward to hopefully running into you here in a few weeks. All right, great. Thanks, Chase. Talk to you soon. And thanks to our listeners for joining us in another one of Cyber Theory's unplugged reviews of the complex and often frightening world of cybersecurity technology and our new digital reality. Until next time, I'm your host, Steve King, signing out. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Cybersecurity Unplugged. You can connect with us on LinkedIn or Facebook at Cyber Theory, or send us an email at social at cybertheory.io. For more information about the podcast, visit cybertheory.io forward slash podcast. Until next week, thanks again.